Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. 1 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to talk about some of the promises of God today. Here's a question for you kind of right out of the gate, and it's okay to kind of raise your hand and confess you're in a safe place today. Anybody claustrophobic? Anybody you kind of know that feeling? It's all right. Anybody else? Maybe just a little bit. You're just a little bit claustrophobic, some of you. Like if I were to talk about kind of being in a cave and it kind of closing in around you and you kind of feeling in that tight space, is that helping anybody right now? No, or maybe you know that feeling like when you sit on an airplane kind of sandwiched between two people and you're just sitting too close to them on that airplane or in church at the 10 o'clock service. Like, you know what I mean, right? (laughs) Or for some of you, there's like this claustrophobic feeling and two words that terrify you are Black Friday. Anybody? (laughs) Right? All those ungodly people out there trying to buy what you want. So you know that feeling when there's this pressure where from the outside, you just know that something is, in a certain sense, almost even like it feels like it's crushing in on you. And we talk about it kind of in a claustrophobic, physical kind of sense. But what if you know it in an emotional or or a personal or a very practical or a spiritual way? You know what it's like to kind of have this, let's just call it spiritual claustrophobia. You feel this pressure. We've been in this series. Today's the last of this series that we're calling Under Pressure. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to feel like we take a break from the book of Acts today, but it's actually setting us up for where we're going to be next week as we kind of start a new series. We're going to get into Acts chapter 9, and we're going to look at a kind of a new character in the book. We've seen him as Saul the last couple of weeks, but we'll come to know him as the Apostle Paul. And, and we're going to look at a letter that he wrote today, just a few verses from the book of 1 Timothy This letter was written, most scholars believe, after the book of Acts. So after the stories that we read about in the book of Acts, scholars believe that that Paul most likely took what we would refer to as a fourth missionary journey. And then on this journey, Timothy was with him, and at some point they reached a city called Ephesus. Ephesus was a, a church there that Paul started. He spent a lot of time there. He loved this city. And when he left, he left Timothy there. Timothy was a young man who was kind of a a student of Paul's. Paul had trained him. Paul had discipled him. And he left Timothy there and said, Timothy, I love this church. I love you. I want you to stay and lead and pastor this church. It was a pretty daunting task for a few reasons. One, this was a really important church to Paul. So now Timothy has to lead the church. That in and of itself was a big deal. But then he was up against a world and a culture, especially in Ephesus, that was adamantly opposed to the gospel. And on top of that, there were people within the church who were teaching things that just weren't true. So Timothy had to deal with leading the people in the church, confronting the challenges of the culture, and trying to correct those who were teaching false doctrine. Do you think he knew any pressure? Paul's writing to a young man under intense pressure in this passage. And he starts the the book of 1 Timothy, this letter that he writes to him, in a very kind of formal way. It's almost like he's He's commissioning him, and he's talking about the purpose of this book. And then he gets about 11 verses in, and at verse 12, it's like he takes a deep breath for a moment. And he does what Paul does in most of his letters, and he stops for a moment to say thank you. And in this moment, he kind of pauses from the the, the focus and the, the drivenness and the purpose, it seems, of this letter to stop for a moment 
in the midst of the pressure that Paul is facing, in the midst of the pressure that Timothy is facing, he stops. And almost in some ways, until you read the whole big picture, it almost at first seems a little bit out of place, but he stops to say thank you. If you're here today and you're under pressure, maybe even to the point in a very generic sense that you feel the pressure of the holidays, or maybe in a more specific sense that that you feel maybe this almost claustrophobic pressure in some area in your home or in your work or in your life, in, in, in in your marriage, in your decisions, whatever it might be, let me give you what I think is a very significant truth. Gratitude is a relief valve for pressure. If you're feeling pressure, if it's coming in on you in some way, when you stop and say thank you, you see it from Paul here, and this is, I think, just a true principle in life, gratitude is a relief valve for pressure. Because when that pressure begins to close in on you, when you stop and say thank you, it takes what's closing in and it's opening it up. When you stop for a moment and show gratitude to your family, to your friends. We're going to see, especially when you show gratitude to God, it's a game changer because how it takes the pressure off and allows you to see things with a clearer perspective. See, this message is, is, is really cool, the way that God lines these things up because not only does it set us up to talk about Paul next week, but it's a perfect fit on this Thanksgiving weekend for us to hear from an individual who's about to take center stage in the book of Acts Paul goes from being Saul the terrorist to being Paul the apostle. And we'll look at the details of this next week, but today what we're going to look at is just kind of a general statement that he makes and a statement of gratitude. Let's watch this. 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning with verse 12. Let's, let's jump in and look at what he says here. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. In this passage, there's kind of three general things that Paul gives thanks for. I want to look at those three things briefly today. I want to break them down a little bit and help you to see how they can apply directly to our lives, especially in moments of pressure. So let's look at these three things. He thanks Jesus for three things in particular. Here's the first one. Number one, Paul says, thank you, Jesus, for strength. Thank you, Jesus, for strength. Here's what he says. Go back to verse 12. He says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength. Anybody ever said that before? Where you just go, thank you, Lord, for strength. Look, that's a very basic statement. It's, it's not filled with theological complexity. It's as practical as it comes. He says, God, I thank you for your strength. And that's, I think, immensely practical today. 
Because unless I miss my guess, some of you have already today, maybe even before you ever even got out of bed this morning, the prayer that was on your lips was, Lord Jesus, please give me strength. Anybody ever been there? Those moments where you start in that way, you say, Lord, I need your strength for today. I need your strength for the holidays. I need your strength for the people that I'm dealing with. I I need your strength for the problems that I'm facing. I need your strength for the decisions that I'm making. I need your strength for the weariness that I have right now. I need your strength for, and you fill in the blank. I mean, like this this is immensely practical, what he says here. And Paul talks about strength a lot as you go through the epistles, and he uses this word multiple times. Look at how he talks about strength. I want to take you to another passage to kind of give you some insight into the way he thinks. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. Look at what he says about strength here. Paul's going through a rough time. In fact, theologians believe that, that Philippians was written when Paul was in prison. So he's, he's in need. It's a tough time. And he says this, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. Anytime anybody uses the word secret, it perks your ears up, doesn't it? You're kind of like, oh, I want a secret. I want to know how to do this. He says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Are you ready for it? Here's the secret. Paul says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. It's about as basic as it comes. If you need strength, there is a place that you can find it. Strength for living comes through Jesus. Anybody found that to be true? Strength for living comes through Jesus. I don't know if this is a subconscious thing, but I've noticed over the last couple of weeks, whether it be online or whether it be if I'm watching TV, I've noticed it seems like an increase in advertising for batteries. Anybody else seen this or noticed this? Like Duracell, Energizer, they're blanketing right now because they know it's time for people to buy presents and they want you to know, don't forget the batteries. I can remember being a kid and receiving a gift from like my parents or somebody. You open it under the tree, you open it up, you're stoked because you have it and then you realize it needs batteries and you don't have any. They forgot the batteries. And kids, I want you to know something. When I was a little guy under the Christmas tree, there ain't no stores open on Christmas Day. Does anybody remember that? They were closed up. And even if they were open, Bob Gilligan wasn't leaving the house. He wasn't getting you batteries. You can wait till tomorrow. In fact, everybody's going to go to the store tomorrow. You can wait a couple of days to get your batteries. You'll be fine. Is he crazy? I want to play with what I've got. There are these times when you go, I need power and I need it now. And God doesn't say to you, wait a couple of days and then we'll run to the store and get you some batteries. He says you can do all things through him who gives you strength. And if you need strength for life, there's all kinds of places that you can look. And I watch this in people's lives. I see them try to find strength through other people or through other substances or through other religions. They try in other ways. And the reality is strength is only truly found through Christ Jesus, who he says gives him strength. And look at the context of what he says in that passage in Philippians 4. He is in prison. He's experiencing need. He has lack. This is a tough time. And yet he says, look, I've learned a secret. He says, the secret is that because of the strength that God gives to me, I can be content 
in every situation. He says, I have learned the secret of contentment because I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. There's a word there that for some of us, especially in the next, I don't know, month or so, would be a great word for us to chew on for a while. It's the word contentment. Because when you get to the holidays, and look, I'm, I'm all about gift giving. I'm, I'm not a Scrooge. I love to receive gifts. I love to give gifts. I'm not knocking the gift giving. I'm just saying when we get in the midst of this season and we start focusing on what we want and we start focusing on what we don't have and we start thinking about who we are not, do you know what I mean? That in this time, we start to question our contentment. And somewhere between Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and give and get December, we lose our contentment. And it's good for us to stop and say, God, I realize my contentment is not in what I have. It's not in what I can do. My contentment is in who you are. Know this, contentment and strength go hand in hand. And you find contentment when you find your strength in the Lord. And I think that's especially important because of the day and time in which we live. Because we put our confidence in so many other things that are prone to fail and prone to let us down. We have people, we have systems, we have stuff, we have technology, and we begin to rely on those things. They're all good things, but if we rely on those things instead of initially finding our strength in Christ, those things will all let us down. Is anybody familiar with the the tool, it's called the Amazon Echo. Are you familiar with this? Anybody? And you talk to Alexa. Do you know what I mean? And it's this deal where you say Alexa, and then this little device kind of wakes up, and then you give it a command, and then it responds. We have one of these, and I love it. Here's why. My mother-in-law's name is Alexa. <laughs> and so sometimes I talk to this thing and boss it around just because I can, and it feels good. That feels good to get off my chest. So we have one of these. There's, there's a guy, it's true, there's a guy in Hamburg, Germany, left his house for the night. While he was gone, his, his Alexa, his Amazon deal, for whatever reason, somewhere between 1.50 and 3 a.m., started blasting music in his apartment. Doesn't know why. Didn't do it with his phone. He said, it's sixth floor, windows are closed. It's not like he heard a command from somewhere else. But for whatever reason, full blast, this dude's, Alexa, starts playing music in the middle of the night, wakes his neighbors up. His neighbors call the police. This happened just a couple of weeks ago. The police show up, knock on the door. Nobody answers. They call a locksmith to break into his house. They get in there and find what they describe as, listen to this, a black jukebox, which is usually activated by voice control, is what they called it. Turn the thing off. The locksmith has to put a new lock on this guy's house. He gets back to his apartment and can't get in his apartment. Has to go to the police station. They give him not only a brand new key, but a brand new hefty bill for the locksmith, right? And he gets home, and he had relied on his technology, and it led him astray and cost him so much. Here's what his, his quote. He says, when I got home... I asked Alexa how we could stay together and whether she could pay me back for what she cost me. He says, all I got from her in reply was, I couldn't find any answer to the question. Sometimes our search for meaning in technology, 
for other people, our, our looking for strength in things that just can't meet the needs are just going to fail and fall apart. You will only find strength that will last and is real when you look for that in Jesus Christ. So here's the deal. In just a few moments, we're going to come to the Lord's table, and, and we're going to spend some time in a moment of communion. And maybe there's, there's a claustrophobic pressure in your life right now. And as we come to the Lord's table, the most important thing for you to do is to say, God, what I need from you today is strength. That might take some humility. It might take some honesty. Truth is, it might even take some repentance. But the best thing that you can do in this moment is say, Jesus, I thank you for strength today because I know that you are the source from what that strength comes. So Paul starts his, his expression of gratitude. And he, and he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord because he has given me strength. And then he goes on and mentions the second thing that he's thankful for. Are you ready for this? Number two. Here's the second thing. Paul says, thank you, Jesus, for purpose. Paul says, number two, thank you, Jesus, for purpose. You, you get right down to it. What, what's, the, what's the most basic question that anybody asks why am I here? Does my life matter? Do I make a difference? Do I have a purpose? And Paul addresses this. Go back to verse 12 again. Let's read it again. Look at what he says. He says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, <clears throat> excuse me, trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Now, look, it's, it's safe to say that none of us will probably have the same calling on our lives to the extent that the Apostle Paul did. The Bible's already written, right? So we probably won't have that same calling. But I will say this. You do have a calling. You do have a purpose. God has called you with a purpose in your life. And I know sometimes we can ignore that, and we can think it's just for the young, or it's just for the mature, or it's just for the special. And understand this. No matter what your season or stage in life, if you're breathing and you hear this message, you have a purpose from God. It might not be as grand as you wish it was right now. It might not be as high profile as it once was. It might not be as glamorous as you think someone else's is. But I'm confident of this. God has a purpose for you today. How do you know that, Chad? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Simple promise from God. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. No matter who you are, before you were even born, God lined out good things that he has for you to do. He has a plan for you today. He has a plan for you tomorrow. God has a purpose for your life. There are good things that God intends for you to do. God has a purpose for your life. And maybe you're in a season that you feel like is a pinnacle in your life. Don't miss this season. Maybe you're in a season of preparation where, where you're studying or you're getting ready or God's preparing you for the next thing. Don't miss this season. Maybe you're in a season of unseen influence. Maybe it's not what others will see, but it's your prayers and it's your encouragement. They're going to make all the difference. Don't miss this season. Thank God for the opportunities he's given you in the past, in the future, in the present, and trust him in this. And some of you, this is where you're quick to go, that's cool, Chad. That's encouraging. And hopefully somebody hears that today. 
but I, I'm pretty sure it doesn't apply to me because I already missed it. Do you know what I've done? Do you know what I didn't do? Do you know what I missed? Because of my mistakes, because of my fear, because of my cowardice, because of my failure, let's just say because of my sin, I missed God's purpose for my life, so it's pretty much passed me by. It's not what Paul said. Go back to 1 Timothy. He had just said about God's purpose for him, and look at what he says in verse 13. He says, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was a bully, I was a terrorist, I was a bad dude, he says. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Now, we'll get to this next week in more detail, but Paul, who had literally opposed God, who had tried to go against God, found that God still had a calling for his life in spite of his failure and sin, and here's why. God's purpose is greater than your past. And some of you probably should let that sink in for a moment. That God's purpose is greater than your past. As I was thinking about this, I got thinking about people that I know that attend this church, that'll probably sit in one of these seats at some point today, whose life is a testimony to the fact that God's purpose is greater than your past. People I know who God is using in some way today who spent time in prison or had a failed marriage or relationship, or experienced great loss, or no disease or disability, who can talk to you about mental illness, or past disgrace, or an experience with abortion, or a financial failure, or whatever it is that you put out there in front of yourself and say, I'd like to have a purpose from God, but I'm not sure I can because of. And these people are walking testimonies to the fact that God's purpose for your life is bigger than your past. It's bigger than what you've been through. It's bigger than the hurt and the pain that you've known because God's purpose is bigger than your past. And if you question that, here's a promise for you to hang on to today. Proverbs 28, verse 13. Solomon writes, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Look, that's, that's a good word, that when you confess and renounce your sins, there's mercy from God, and he has a purpose for your life. Don't miss this. Look, God's purpose is bigger than your past. And can I throw one other thought your way? That God's purpose is greater than your plans. God's purpose is not just greater than your past. And I felt this really in a, in a strong way when I was getting ready for today. That God's purpose is greater than your plans. See, for many of us, we get to a point where we just get content or we just start to confine God's purpose for our lives. And in the midst of that, we miss out that there's more that God wants to do. Look, do not cause God's purpose for your life to be limited by your own thinking. Because God says, my thoughts are not like your thoughts. He says, my ways are not like your ways. In fact, let me give you just a couple of scriptures. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power. It's back to his strength, right? It's not you. It's his strength that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Do you see what he said here? More than you can think. 
more than you can imagine, more than you can measure, God is able to do those things in your life as his strength works in you. And how many times do I miss his purpose in my life because I limit it because I think that I'm right where I need to be? Like I get to a point where I go, look, I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I'm financially comfortable. Things are okay at home. I go to church on Sunday. I feel like there's a place in my life where I'm giving back. And I push the pause button and I go, things are pretty good. I like it here. I'm going to park right here. I'm going to stay right here because this is a, a place where I'm content. And God says, look, you're, you're confined by the fact that you think you're done when God says, I have more that I want to do. Look, don't limit his purpose by your plans. There's, there's an interesting phrase that Paul uses, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Look at this. Paul writes, and he says, now the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. That phrase there, ever-increasing glory. There's, there are people who would contend, and I, I would actually agree with this, that the idea there behind this is that God does not want us to just stop. He wants us to experience ever-increasing glory in our lives, that we become more and more like him, that we become more and more aware of his purpose, that he uses us to do more and more for his kingdom, that we don't ever just pause or park or stop, but that we allow ourselves to know him more. Look at how it's said in the English Standard Version. I like this. It says, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That we don't just stay in one place that God has for us. He wants to take us to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. In fact, there's several Bible translations that use this phrase, that God takes us from glory to glory. Now know this, getting from glory to glory might be messy. To get from one mountaintop to another mountaintop, you might have to go through a valley. Have you been there? But know this, God doesn't want you to stop. He doesn't want you to quit. He doesn't want you to think, I'm done, I'm washed up. And, and for heaven's sake, he does not want you to just stop and say, I think this is good enough. He wants you to know him, experiencing him, be used by him to accomplish his purpose greater than ever before. Do not be confined with your plans for your life when God has a purpose that's greater and for some of you, I think that's really important today because at some point along the lines, and maybe it's a great thing to talk about on a Thanksgiving weekend before we hit Christmas in the first of the year. Somewhere along the lines, you set your purpose down and God's calling you to pick it back up again. Might be a good time for us to even just kind of talk about some things that are happening here at the church because this is a, a, a moment that we're in in this time. It'll be five years ago uh, at the end of next month that we moved from the church on Glendale over here to this building on Conant Street. Kind of seems hard to believe that it's been five years already. And in the midst of that, God called us to pursue his purpose for the church in a new way. And it's led to growth and impact, greater favor from the Lord, but it's also had its challenges. Some of the challenges that we've seen is some space issues in this building, which is kind of interesting, kind of hard to believe, but it's good for us to update you We've got the renovation project that's happening on the south end of the building. We're in the midst of it now where we're adding six more preschool classrooms. 
We're adding a, a kids' church auditorium that'll give us some multi-purpose space, and we're adding a, a new room that's going to be new space for our CSM middle school students. And this is a big deal because God has has allowed us to grow to get to a new place of glory, right? But that has led to challenges, and we want to meet those challenges because we want to be more effective at reaching future generations. That's a good place to be, isn't it? I'm six of us are stoked. It's a good place to be. Right? To see what God's doing in this. And so we trust him with this. So we have challenges in this. One of the other challenges that we have is that during this service on most Sundays, 10 o'clock, not so much 8, 15, 11, 45, but at 10 o'clock, we're full in this service on Sunday mornings. And oftentimes people come in here for glory and they have to move from glory to glory over an auditorium too. Hey, auditorium too, how are you? Right? That's, that's something that happens, right? So they go from glory to glory. And we don't feel like we do much glory well in Auditorium 2 right now. So we're going to make some changes over the next couple of weeks. So, so we're going to have a bit of an experiment. We're going to start the next few weeks at the 10 o'clock service only, just at 10 o'clock. In Auditorium 2, we're going to add some live elements to help to make it a bit of a better service. We're going to have a live pastoral kind of campus uh, venue leader that's going to be over there. We're also going to introduce some live worship over there so you're not just kind of staring at a screen, but you actually get to take part in the worship experience at 10 o'clock in Auditorium 2. We're excited about it. It's an experiment, right? Anytime you experiment, you're kind of like, is this going to work? Is it not going to work? How is this going to go? It's kind of a good thing. And when you go from glory to glory, it can get messy, so we know that there might be times when glory's happening in this room and glory's happening in that room and some of the glory over here is going to flow over there and vice versa, right? We might hear it, but we're going to be patient as we go from glory to glory. Amen? Okay, all right, good, 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 right? And we walk through this. Why? Because I feel like God's helping us to do some new things. This is a key thing. One of the things that that means is, is at 8.15 and 11.45, that room's going to be used in some different ways. So we have some small groups of people that sometimes will we'll worship over there. That room's not going to be available in the same ways, but we don't have the seating challenges in here, the first and third service, so that'll work out okay. You might hear a little bit of noise, but it, it helps us to get from a place where we can go from glory to glory. And, and we talk about that in a church sense, but I really want you to think about that in your own personal life because I don't want you to miss what God is doing in your life by being confined by what you think he can do. Some of us have set our purpose down and forgot there's more that God wants to do. Right after the election day earlier this month, there was a headline in the Press Herald newspaper in Portland, Maine. Let me read it for you. This is an exact quote of the headline. Are you ready? If you voted in Portland and you're looking for your teeth, read this. Anybody see this? Poll workers cleaning up at this polling place in Maine after the election and found a pair of dentures just laying around, just kind of there. The guy that wrote this newspaper story wrote this. Perhaps it was something jaw-dropping on the ballot that caused it. Isn't that horrible? Somebody left behind a pair of dentures. The election clerk discovered it. Here's the paper says, the choppers are now in a plastic bag in the city clerk's office at City Hall. Then they show a picture of this pair of dentures in this bag, and it reads this. So if you or someone you know voted there on Tuesday and are looking for a set of dentures, or if you recognize this smile, please call, and then they give the phone number. What do you do when you kind of go, what do I do with my teeth? Set them down somewhere. I don't know where they're at. And so you're sitting here going, what do I do with my purpose? I set it down somewhere, 
And today has been a reminder that God's saying, you'll get a whole lot further if you hang on to my purpose. And if you don't, pick it back up again. Trust God to use you. He has called you to have a purpose in your life. That's why Paul says, look, I thank you, Jesus, for your strength. And I thank you, Jesus, for your purpose. Third thing, real quick, let's wrap this up. Number three, Paul says, thank you, Jesus, for grace. Number three, thank you, Jesus, for grace. You know why he gives us strength? Because he loves us. He has mercy for us. He gives us grace. Do you know why he calls us to have a purpose? Not because you're so awesome, but because he is. And he gives that to you with grace. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. I love that word picture. Poured out on me abundantly. Okay, confession for Thanksgiving weekend. I'm not a gravy guy. Just, that's not my favorite part of the meal. For some of you, you love it. You get into the gravy. You've been drinking it with a straw since Thursday. You just, that's, that's your thing, right? I had an uncle. He had this thing down to a science. He'd take his plate, and he would, he would smack on the mashed potatoes, layer the base coat with mashed potatoes. Then he would put on the turkey, then the dressing, then whatever else there was, cranberry sauce on top, and then he'd take the gravy, and he would just pour it out abundantly, and he would eat this pile. Anybody do that? Anybody? Praise the Lord. You know, there's certain, you like that. Yeah, you like that. It's fine. It's all right. I had a brother here in the, not my brother, but brother in Christ. You know, in the first service, I said that, and he's, amen. He got moved as I was just, there was revival on the front row. We were, and some people like that. I don't, but what a picture of God's grace. He doesn't hold back. He's not stingy. What Paul says, he poured it out on us abundantly. And look, for some of us, as we think about God's strength, as we think about his purpose, as we think about his love and the faith that he's given to us, it's good for you to have that picture in mind of his salvation that comes to us. Let God pour out his abundant grace in your life. Some of you have been holding back. Some of you have been unsure. Some of you, even today, you know that what you need in your life is either to begin or begin again a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you've played around with faith, but you know that the decision you need to make is, is to get off a fence and to stop playing around and to say, God, I commit my life to you. I choose to follow you. I choose to make you my savior. That means he forgives us. And my Lord, which means we choose to follow him with our whole lives. And you say, Lord, I, I choose to make you my savior and my Lord. I receive your grace. For some of you, you've been so just trapped, strapped by your sin and guilt and condemnation. And today, the best thing that you can do is to open up yourself and say, God, would you, would you pour out your grace abundantly in my life to let him be at work and let him change you? Paul says this. Look at verse 15. He says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the worst. Paul doesn't say that because he's exaggerating or overly humble or using hyperbole. You, you read scripture. He, he felt that way. He said, look, if anybody did not deserve God's grace, it was me. 
That word worst is the same word for foremost or first. He's saying, look, if there's a list of sinners, I'm not in the top 10. I'm, I'm God's most wanted. I'm number one. But yet God poured out his grace in my life, Paul says. And you can know that grace, and you can experience that. That's why we come to the Lord's table today. That's why we share in communion, because it allows us to stop and remember what Christ has done for us. I know this is going to be a, a little bit awkward for a moment, and, and that's okay, but, but this, this is going to require some physical movement on our part. So I'm going I'm to invite those that are part of our hospitality team, our ushers. They're going to help us to serve communion. I know some of you have to kind of move and help us right now. Let's go ahead, and we're going to prepare to do that in these next few moments. We're going to come to the Lord's table, and they're going to come, and they're going to distribute those elements in just a moment. They're, they're going to share the, the bread with you, which is a symbol of, of the broken body of Jesus Christ. And they're going to share the cup with you, which is a symbol of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, that he died for you. He died on the cross. He gave his life. Don't miss this, because for some of us, we've been in church enough that we've heard that language so many times. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus shed his blood. Jesus' body was broken, that it loses its impact. Don't miss this. Somebody died for you. He gave his life for you. Not because he was forced to, but because of his mercy, because of his grace, he did that for you. And there's probably some of us that have been so, um, I don't know, just covered with guilt or shame. Maybe because we haven't received this grace, or maybe because we keep going back to those things in the past that limit our strength and limit our purpose. God says, look, I want to pour out my grace on you today. 500 years ago, there was a guy named Thomas Bliney in England. Remember when we talked about the Reformation a couple weeks ago? This was about that same time. He was a brilliant dude. Went to Cambridge, went to one of the, the finest schools, studied law, prepared to be a minister, a clergy member, which was kind of a high point status in that time. And yet he couldn't get past the fact that in his life, he felt far from God. He felt covered in guilt. He kept reliving the things that he'd done wrong. And then one day, remember we, we talked about how they didn't have the Bible in English. That was one of the terrible kind of shame of that time. He could read Greek, and so he began to read the Greek New Testament. And he got to this passage in 1 Timothy chapter 1, where he read where Paul said that Jesus Christ died for us. He's the way to salvation. Paul said, he did it for me, the one who was the worst, the foremost among sinners. And when he read that part where Paul said he was the worst of sinners, Blindy said it changed something inside of him. Look at what he said. He says, this one sentence, through God's instruction and inward working, did so exhilarate my heart. Sounds like language from 500 years ago, didn't it? Listen to what he goes on to say, though. He says, being before wounded with the guilt of my sins which some of you can relate to, and being almost in despair, that even immediately I seemed upon myself inwardly to feel a marvelous comfort and quietness insomuch that my bruised bones leaped for joy. Look, some of you need an experience like Thomas Blind. It changed him. He became one of the leaders of the Reformation in England in that time, and it started where what sin had bruised inside of him God poured out his extravagant grace in his life. 
And the most important thing for some of you today is to maybe drop your guard. Maybe it's going to take some humility. It might take some repentance. But to say, God, would you pour out your grace in my life today? Would you be willing to make a difference in my life? I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. As you do, the ushers are going to come. They're going to prepare to serve us communion at this time. And um, as they come and prepare, I've got some questions. That, That in this moment, if you would say as we come to the Lord's table, Lord, what I need from you today is strength. Would you just raise your hand? It's just between you and God. God, I need strength from you today. Thanks. You can put your hands down. How about for some of you that maybe would say today, God... I thank you that you've reminded me of your purpose for my life today. If that's you, would you raise your hand? God, thanks for a reminder that I have a great purpose from you today. Yeah, awesome. Hands all over. And here's the question. Whether it's um, for the very first time or whether it's something today where you knew again, say, God, I need your grace today. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? God, today I need your grace. Pour it out in my life, God. I need your forgiveness, your love. I need your grace. Here's what we're going to do in just a moment. The the ushers are going to distribute the elements. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you know that he's your Lord and Savior, that you have the promise of being in heaven forever with him, then we invite you to join with us in this time of communion. They're going to distribute the bread, which is a symbol of the broken body of Christ, the cup, which is a symbol of his shed blood. We ask that you hold on to those things until everyone's been served, and then we'll share together. Paul says in, 1 Corinthians 11, that whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. In these next few moments, as, as Pastor John leads us in a song, as the elements are distributed, as you come to the Lord's table, would you search your own heart? Make sure that things are right between you and God. Maybe even to the point that that for some of you, you you might even say that that this isn't the right thing for you to do today. Just just let it pass. If you're not in a right relationship with God, you need to prepare your hearts in these moments to be right with Him. And then, as you hold those elements, would you ask Him for His strength, for His purpose, for His grace in your life? Let the Spirit of God use this sacred moment to do work in your heart today examine our hearts and thank him today. Ushers, you may serve.
raised our hand today to say that we need strength from you. Strength that would help us to be content. Strength that would help us in the midst of this life. Strength that would help us to realign where we look to find our confidence and our hope. Lord, many of us, we need strength from you today. Lord, some of us raised our hands and said, God, we thank you for your purpose. Maybe it's one that we set aside somewhere and we, we kind of just have left it there and you're calling us to pick it back up tonight. Some of us have, have limited what you can do in our lives because we've just, we've just become complacent. Lord, other, others of us have let our sin determine what we think you can do. Lord, today we embrace the fact that you have a great purpose for us. We want to live in it thank you that your purpose is, is greater than our past. It's greater than our plans. We look to you. And Lord, for all of us, we need your grace. Lord, with Paul, we would say there's no question that we're sinners. God, we ask that you would pour out your grace abundantly in our lives. God, that you would let us know your, your help, your presence. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice, for your death on the cross, and for your resurrection that gives us life. We thank you today. Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, we thank you for the bread, a reminder of your sacrifice. We pray that you'd help us not to take it for granted, but to live in the strength that you died to bring us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's share in the bread together. same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is a new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until it comes Father we thank you for the cup it represents the shed blood of Jesus Christ Father as we share in this cup may we be reminded that there's life in the blood that there's eternal life available because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, that there's forgiveness that allows us to not only know new life, but new purpose from you, that there's hope as we trust in you. And we remember this as we share in the cup together, in Jesus' name. Let's share in the cup.
Father, we thank you for this time at your table. We thank you for this time in your word. As we move into the busy season, may we realize the relief valve that gratitude can be. May we say thank you, Jesus, for your strength, your purpose, and your grace in my life. As we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. Father, would you send us out with your special favor, with your wonderful peace. We ask this in Jesus' name.